Taylor Nolan, and you are listening to Let's Talk About It. We are on our third episode, and I'm joined by my wonderful, mindful man, Kit Bender. And today we actually have a special guest on this episode. Are we going to spoil it, or are we going to make people wait just a second until... You have to keep listening in order to hear the smooth voice that you're about to hear. That's not mine. There's an additional smooth voice. There is voice. an additional smooth voice. All the, all the calming vibes on my podcast. What are we talking about today? Yes, today we are talking about male-female friendships, intersex friendships, opposite-sex friendships, cross-sex friendships. <laughs> Women and men friendships. Women and men trying to be friends without boning. Yes. Is that possible? We're going to talk about it. And we do have a guest here that's going to talk about it with us. Would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, Man who needs no introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. That's all we needed. That's all we needed. You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say my last name is Derek Paith. Faith. And you can all remember it by have faith in faith. <laughs> Literally, he said that to me when I first asked how I pronounced it, and I had the yeah. biggest eye roll. But, I think it was an earned eye roll, but it yeah. does make sense. Also, but you never forgot it, and that's I, what matters. It didn't, I but I love hearing Siri say your name on my phone because she says, Derek, Peth, poop smiley emoji. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that you have that on there. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Siri does read the emoji. It describes yes. the emoji if you put it in a name. Yes. Your cat happy cat face yes. when Siri says your name. Yes. Because <laughs> I'm just cat. You're just Taylor Nolan. <laughs> Feels so no special, babe. Thanks. Um, but so today we have you on the podcast for kind of a specific reason, you know, for choosing you to be here today. Um, so we're talking about male-female friendships and, you know, one of the kind of the overall themes of this podcast is talking about mental health. So if you're wondering why are we talking about friendships between uh, ladies and men, um, relationships play a huge role in our mental health. And the social support that we have is so important to maintaining, you know, a healthy level or any sort of satisfaction or happiness in your life, which includes your mental health. Mom has always told me about yeah. people you spend your time. She used to say, uh, "You are a product of the people you spend your time with mm-hmm. and the books you read." Yeah. And so I don't think she made that up. It's a part of developing who you are. I think that's actual sure quote she, yeah, from I'm somewhere. Sure it is. I'm sure it is. That sounds very familiar. I'll give her credit for it, though. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> thank you, Maria Pay. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Maria, for speaking your wisdom through yes. your son. Yes, but so the, we have. You here talk about it today because you are you and I are in a relationship, and Kit and I big surprise are we are in a relationship. <laughs> That's what I've heard. For, <laughs> yeah, for those of you that don't know, Derek and I are together, um, and Kit and I are great friends. I've known Kit for about two years, and yeah. Kit, uh, maybe a surprise, is a man. I am a man. <laughs> I am a man with the man parts. It's got all the man parts. It's got the man beard. Uh, <laughs> Full man. Not the, not and, the lady beard. I do not have a lady beard. <laughs> and I am full lady, and we have maintained a friendship yeah. for two years. Um, so we're going to talk about, you know, the development of male-female friendships, if it's possible. Um, and we kind of did a little bit of homework to prepare for this episode, Um Part of that was just doing some actual research, which we'll get into. And then we also watched the classic movie, When Harry Met Sally. Yes, When Harry Met Sally, which yes. I hadn't seen until just a couple of days ago. Well, I saw a little bit of it. It's a great movie, actually. Yeah, I feel like it definitely, I mean, the whole, you know, it's a rom-com, but like the whole debate and the theme kind of surrounding the movie is, can men and women just be friends? Which he just flat out says at the beginning of the movie. Yes. Harry doesn't yes. have any any time. There's no uh, yeah. grand poetic setup. He just yeah. says it right at the beginning. Kate, would you say it was right when Harry met Sally? That's <laughs> exactly <laughs> when it happened, yes. So yes. before we get into all of what the movie was, uh, let's kind of 
get some background here and see what some of the research says on this. Uh, I, you know, there were a few different articles I kind of skimmed over and uh, some studies I read to prepare for this and also just kind of reflecting on my own history with friendships with men. Um, and there isn't really any clear answer, but there's a lot of information. Based on the information that you read, is there, does it, the research lean one way or the other towards or against? It, what I found is that it tends to lead against. It, it against leans males against. and females able to have platonic friendships. Yes, but, but there are also ways that you can, A, move past that, B, um, mend mend that, see, avoid that. And we'll kind of get into that as we go along, like these kind of ways that you can actually maintain a male-female friendship. And there's, it's so dependent upon the people and the timing and, um, what the, what the goals are for each person entering that relationship. So it's, I feel like you can't generalize it like you can't um, be black or white on it. I feel like this is a very like gray topic. Right. Every two people is has the opportunity to create the box mm-hmm. that they're going to yes. choose to live in. Yes. So we get to create boxes for ourselves, yes. but those boxes are just ways that we mm-hmm. define things are things that we get to intentionally create with other people. Mm-hmm. Well, and the, that was one of the first uh, defining boxes that Taylor told me about herself as we left the show and came back here to Seattle she, I think, warned me or tried to explain to me that she has a lot of, you know, male friends multiple times. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if she was testing the water or just um, trying to make sure that, you know, I understood that that was not going to change. <laughs> well, how did it make um, you feel? I was, I was very open to that initially. Um, I've typically been attracted to women who um, have a lot of male friends, actually. So... In one of the studies that I found, and actually most of the studies I uh, researched were focused on college students, um, which I think is good contextual information. But also aren't college students kind of in in that phase where they're trying to find a partner? I think they're in that stage of like personal development. It just seems like the time of life that it's really easy to get. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing confused. I wonder if later on in life, people are more likely to be able to get into more healthy male-female relationships. Because they're like more self-defined? They're more self-defined, mm-hmm. yes. They, they understand who they are better. They understand what they want better. And I think, hopefully, they're able to have a little more uh, self-control mm. uh, and not just be driven by this need to either find a romantic partner or find a sexual partner, settle down, all those kinds of things that um, are traditionally happening in that period of life. Those are the traditional shoulds and boxes that are definitely put onto college students at that age and early 20s. Um, But I also think that this group could also be like a, a beneficial group of people to have because throughout that span, yes, they are perhaps more focused on finding a partner, but in those years, you're, you're learning a lot about yourself and that personal development, yes, which could be more helpful later on as research participants. But in that personal development, a large part of that comes from the relationships that you have. So it's, it's a lot of different like experimenting with friendships and with different kinds of connections yeah. that I think uh, does bring a lot to the research. So in one of the studies... They kind of discussed like the benefits and the costs. Uh, this is with Bus, and I don't know how to pronounce the other guy's name, but I remember Bus because we read about him in my uh, romantic love elective course in undergrad. It was actually one of my favorite classes. Um, but we kind of talked about like the evolution of love and like romantic relationships. It was the best class that would ever. Be interesting, yeah, yeah. Um, Doctor Shirts, thank you, Doctor Shirts. Uh- <laughs> Doctor Shirts. <laughs> Was there a Dr. Skins too? Make sure it's no. well, I was thinking Dr. Pants, but... <laughs> but so males and females both kind of agreed on some of the benefits and the disadvantages or costs to having male-female friendship. Um, you have a dinner companion, you get good 
conversation, uh, self-esteem boost, just in terms of like having a friend, uh, you get some info about the opposite sex, you know, like having a guy friend, like you get like that guy's perspective, um, social status, respect, sharing resources. Um, and then they also, for the barriers to friendship kind of all agreed on jealousy as an issue, um, confusion over the status of the relationship, which I think is very, very common actually. Um, and unrequited love, uh, and then also potentially being less attractive to, uh, potential partners. So if you're both single and you guys are friends and then you, um, start dating someone else, that could be a, um, potential barrier for that new person coming in, knowing that you have their guy friends. And that's kind of where, uh, Derek, you were talking about like, you know, you're starting to date me and here I am. I'm like, yeah, by the way, have like these guy friends that are like, I'm very, very close with (laughs) just Mm -hmm. so you know. (laughs) Um, and that, that could have been a potential cost or, um, really like damaging to us building a relationship. Yeah, but I think that that comes back to who, what, what kind of person are you interested in and what kind of person mm-hmm. are you to? That's like defining yourself, you know, you have to be, you know, you have to be who you are. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're dating someone or getting very close to someone and you find out something important like that, that's like life altering with all of your relationships. Like if I was to say, oh, I'm not cool with that, I'm sure you probably would have sent me home after a couple of days instead of... Keeping Will me you here not for five accept weeks. this rose? Because I'm not giving it to you. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Enter eye roll from this side of the table. <laughs> I found kind of this progression of findings to be pretty interesting. Uh, they found that men were more likely to see sex and romantic relationship as a benefit. Like just having the potential of that is benefit to mm-hmm. being friends with someone of the opposite sex. Um, whereas women actually saw that as a barrier to the friendship, that the potential for that sexual or romantic relationship to arise was a cost in developing that friendship. Do you, do you guys think that that has to do with like we, we building on last week's conversation about boxes? Do you think that's because those are the boxes that we put ourselves in? Or do you think that like men and women actually mm-hmm. get that way? Yeah. And I think actually some of what I, found in the research was that some of this wasn't surprising because it was like, well, yeah, that's kind of typical like male, female behavior or thoughts that, 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 but it didn't come very surprising to me. Um, you know, men thought that it was a cost of the relationship to give time to help the friend, which was one thing I was kind of like, oh, that makes me sad. And like, of course I would as a woman. Um, Wait, the men thought it was a cost mm-hmm. that, that they would actually have to invest time? Have to give time that time. And not get anything sexual in return? So they didn't actually touch on whether or not the sex part was a, was a piece of that, but I wouldn't be surprised if that were the case because I think... Uh, on one hand, I wouldn't be surprised, but on the other hand, I think that that would possibly still be an issue because I, I've seen in past relationships where there is that romantic connection and there is the sex is present um, that still, if if the man is having to give his time, his valuable, precious time uh, to help emotionally to the woman... that that is an investment and that's considered a burden. So in my opinion, I start to question the format of these, these answers. And if, you know, I'm a man answering this and I know this, I, you know, just subconsciously, I may answer in a more like stereotypically masculine way than maybe, maybe even different than what my real life is like. Cause you know, I, I don't know how I would answer those questions, but you know, I have attempted some female relationships and Yeah. Well, and that's where a lot of this, when I was kind of researching it, came down to uh, that, you know, why is this even a question in the first place of whether or not men and women can just be friends? Well, it's a question because the sex piece always comes in. And the sex part is what starts me thinking about the biological and evolutionary standpoint of the male-female relationship slash friendship, where you get into kind of the sharing resources thing. Um, 
one of the costs that women listed were the men paying for outings, the physical protection. And that's like, that's, you know, the man gathering and hunting things. And I think it's fairly recent in human history that men and women uh, existed Mm -hmm. intersex, intergenderly. And so for us as humans to... All of a sudden in this very last... It wasn't even the last decade until like the research on intersex friendships started occurring. So it's like pretty recent. So through history, the roles that men and women played uh, were just so defined. And what we're dealing with now is a time where in the last few decades, the workplace has become integrated. Um, There's a lot more openness, even just with the way that the rules are uh, played out in society, what a man does and what a woman does. And then I think with the uh, with more people coming out as uh, gay and transgender mm-hmm. and bisexual, there's and so, many, so many yeah. potential complications or just various ways that this can look. It's not as black and white, I think, as it used to be. So I think it's a good thing to continue to have conversations about. Can I, can I go dark with this for a second too? Uh, look at recently what's been happening, you know, with all of the sexual harassment and potential assault, like in, in all of these, like typically someone in power doesn't have this ability to like, um, the the person who wasn't in power, I should say, didn't have this ability to have a voice. Mm -hmm. And now suddenly you're mashing these two worlds together and they need to find a way to work, you know, collaboratively. That's not with this undertone of sex constantly, yeah. right? Yeah, and, and that actually makes me think of one of the things I found in the research where uh, the men were more likely to think that that friend was attracted to them, even if there was no evidence, that the males typically more often would assume that mm. the female was attracted to them and that they... You know, they already were attracted to that female. So even in in like a work work friend whatever kind of relationship, if it's a relationship with a male and female that is not already romantic or sexual, that the male yes, that the male oftentimes just automatically assumes that, and whereas she is assuming a lack of attraction, and so it's like males and females are uh, overestimating and underestimating the level of attraction that's in that relationship. And so that's where it's like, yeah, in the workplace, you know, with all this stuff coming up, like the men are just kind of automatically assuming that the women's attracted to them. Plus they have all this power. I think what we're dealing with socially is this challenge of the broad assumption that all men see attractive women primarily as uh, a sexual Sex object. object. Mm-hmm. And I think that has been ingrained within the culture for so long. And it's biological. It's evolutionary as well. When you look at what benefit bio- biologically and evolutionarily that a male would seek out a female for is to reproduce. Right. And then you have this built into the society, this assumption built into the society, and then you give these men money yes. and power. Why wouldn't they do the very natural thing, which is take run advantage, for president. Oh. Run for president. <laughs> take advantage of their situation and, yes. and act as often as they can on the fact that they primarily see women as sexual objects. Mm-hmm. Well, and... And this makes me think, uh, in in the research it was talking about, uh, that the men more often, uh, let me get this right here. Let me just say uh, yeah. that the this assumption of, of men being this way, I think, is what does need to be challenged. I think yes. we're in this place where there are lots of situations where that's not mm-hmm. true. And there's people, men that are emotionally mature and they have the respect for women and they have the, the, the self-control and they have the self-awareness to be able to want to experience this yeah. wonderful thing that can be... Friendship. Friendship. I got two of those guys right looks, here. That looks a lot of different <laughs> ways. There, I think we, some guys like you and I, Derek, are challenging this every day yeah. by living that out and saying, I can have a relationship with someone and allow space for that person to have non-sexual 
relationships yes. with other people. I think it goes right in line with the building of emotional intelligence being as important as IQ because it takes a level of emotional intelligence yeah. to override these like primal you know, fires that are going on. Yeah. It's like, ah, I must, you know, grab her by the hair and take her back to my cave. Right. That's, but that's, that's built, not. <laughs> build her a fire. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, girlfriend. Um, but yeah, it's like when the, when the friendship didn't turn into romantic or sexual relationship or the, you know, the front, the workplace relationship didn't turn to that. Uh, the men often felt rejected and used or friend zoned, which is where then in the, you know, all the stuff we're seeing with the sexual harassment stuff come out is like, uh, that is them then lashing out and saying, well, I'm going to do it anyway, like, because they're butt hurt. Right. Um, and I've experienced that where like a guy has expressed interest and I've expressed like, mm, that's not what I was looking for. And then they just turn into jerks and we'll just mm. say mean stuff or they'll like do something mean and that's where it's like yeah not the highest level of emotional intelligence a little bit immature but then the research showed that when the friendship did turn romantic sexual which is more often than not initiated by when, the male when it went from platonic and when it and did go to okay. sexual or romantic that then the men actually continued to still label the woman as just a friend they did that at double the rate of women. When it makes that move, the research shows that men and women respond to that move from platonic to friends with benefits or whatever gray area is in between platonic and mm-hmm. you know full-blown romantic relationship. They respond to that move very, very differently. And again, like it's very dependent upon who the people are, what place in their life they're at. It's not, you know black or white, you know, I'm sure there are other articles out there and other research out there that could say something different that we didn't get a hold of. I would be really curious, uh, and this, this is more like doing a lot of research on the research. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really curious how the research has changed over, like if you mm-hmm. saw a study in the 80s, would mm-hmm. that be different than a study in the 90s and then the two, yeah. you know, in the last 30 years? Has there been a significant change in the way that this takes place in society? Yeah. One thing that I did find really interesting in terms of, um, you know, when we talk about the movie coming up here soon, um, we'll talk a lot about attraction and that there was a study done on uh, what role attraction plays in a intersex friendship and that uh, typically the friendship attraction, not the sexual romantic attraction the friendship attraction grows while the romantic attraction the sexual physical stuff actually declines over time of the friendship and that perhaps that attraction needs to decline in order for the friendship attraction to actually maintain itself because then it's no longer a friendship i think so but but at the same time a you know friendship is the building blocks to a romantic, long-term, successful relationship. So typically you do start out with this level of friendship and somehow that blossoms and develops into a romantic relationship. And there is even a conversation in the movie that we're going to talk about in a minute uh, with Harry and his friend when the friend was asking, like, you know, you guys enjoy spending time together, you're attracted to her on some level, and, and... there was this assumption that, okay, why, why don't you just make together? that obvious move? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's to be able to have someone that starts as a friend instead of it starting romantic and evolving into a friend. Yeah. I think that's why people are attracted and try to push a relationship out of yeah. platonic and into whatever more. One of the quotes, I want to kind of talk about the movie a little bit here. Uh, when Harry met Sally, one of the things that Harry says, he says... Men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. Yeah. Which Do we is, believe that? Again, that's, that's the assumption. I think going mm-hmm. in and Like, even, of course, a male and a female, if, they're, if they get along, then they're going to have sex. Yes. What? That, well, <laughs> that's the assumption. That's, that's, oh, that's the assumption. The assumption. <laughs> that, is, that is what Harry is, is posturing. Derek's so like, wait, what? And that even recently, a lot of things I saw I, I, in my research, I was seeing people and some of them were even now blatant about saying, nope, not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Men and women can't be friends. They will always get complicated. So, But even in that complicatedness, mm-hmm. and that's a point I want to get into later too, that 
those are great opportunities to learn about each other and to like deepen the friendship. So, okay, let's, let's take it one step further here with what Harry said. A little later, he said, no man can be friends with a woman who he finds attractive or not because he will always want to have sex with her. So even if he doesn't find her attractive, he's still probably going to want to have sex with her. Right, because she was like, well, what if you're not attracted? Mm-hmm. And he goes, man, probably still want to bang her. I, so I had a conversation with an ex once. Um, it was when we were like, she she had found someone else a little bit attractive and that threw her threw her off, right? And we, was this while you guys were together? Yes. Yeah. And so just, we ended up having an open conversation about it after... Um, you know, a few weeks of passive aggressive behavior <laughs> on your part or her part? On her part. <laughs> so this wasn't like she came to you no. right after and was like, "Hey, like I had this interaction right. and I think I like I found this other guy kind of hot." Yeah, and it was funny to hear. She like sat with that. She sat with it because it hurt. It, it, it was bothering her because it hadn't been something that had happened in her past relationships, and she probably felt like she was already betraying you in some yeah. way, and shaming herself. Exactly. Um, and my response was like. Really? That's weird to you? <laughs> and I said, right. I'm driving my car down, you know, the Miami in the in downtown Miami. And I'm like looking back at all these well, I, beautiful I think, women every day. And, you know, I said, that's weird that you think that's awkward. <laughs> yeah. Some kind of attraction is uh, for people other than your primary partners always going to be normal. Yeah. yeah. And I think that when you can openly talk about that in a relationship that... A, you kind of like decrease the chances of someone actually acting on that attraction. And B, I think that's a way to like deepen your bond and connection and build trust with each other. Because what a wonderful thing to be able to walk through life and say, I'm attracted to a lot of things in a lot of people, but I choose you. Every day I'm going to wake up and, and I'm attracted to a lot of things, but I'm here not because like, what if your partner was the only person you were attracted to. That <laughs> yeah. was it. And you walked around the world in complete isolation because you weren't drawn to anyone else. Yeah. That's That'd be sad. very weird. Yeah. That's sad. And that expectation is crazy. Like people need to relax on that a little bit. I totally agree. That's something that uh, Daphne Rose Kingma talks about in The Future of Love, which is one of my favorite books. And it actually makes me think uh, another thing that Harry kind of says, he says, uh, if two people are involved in relationships, then it takes the pressure off of the male-female friendship. But that also doesn't work, actually, because then your partner can't understand why you're going out of the relationship. It makes them think something is wrong, that you're not getting something from them. So that that kind of brings us to like this unrealistic expectation that we have of our romantic relationships, of what a marriage should look like, of what a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship should look like. And it's... It's this impossible, I'm talking about impossible standards again, like last episode, Um, Mm -hmm. but it is, it's this impossible standard and stereotype that we have around marriage and what that relationship is that she talks about in this book. Um, It's not Little House on the Prairie anymore, right? Like you don't depend on each other for survival. We have a little bit more than that. Right. Yeah. So she like, she breaks down a few different myths about marriage and about these kind of long-term romantic relationships that we're supposed to have. Um, The Future of Love is a book I will highly recommend. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, the the book is focused on uh, learning to love with your soul instead of your personality. Um, It's probably like a read twice kind of book. Um, But when she talks about these kind of myths of an intimate relationship of what we expect from our partners, there's four myths uh, that our relationship should be daily, seven days a week, uh, that our relationship should be domestic. You live under a shared roof and a house with a yard and a white picket fence. Derek, how do I feel about white picket fences? Make it brown. That's what I said to him in the fantasy suite. They didn't air that, did they? No. No. He, he like, you made you some comment. That part. I was, I was, I said, I was just talking about how I could see a future with Taylor and I was like, you know, I could see like the house and the white picket fence with you. And, and I immediately was like, what if I don't want a white picket fence? Of course and I did. immediately of course said, I'll paint it brown. And I was like, whoa. I was like, yeah, I want a brown fence. <laughs> it was very sweet. Um, but so the third myth she talks about is exclusive. The person we love will be our one and only love, which we also talked about in our first one-on-one that we neither one of us believes in. So we already bust that myth. And the fourth one is forever, that it will last until the end of time. Uh, 
And so the, the, the notion of like that one love and what that one person is supposed to be, uh, you know, we discussed it. Actually, I don't even think they aired us really getting into like why we don't believe that's the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to read a little excerpt here from the book and what she says about that. Cause I think it's, uh, really helpful actually. And I think it also kind of proves a point as to why having friendships outside of your romantic relationship is really beneficial. The third myth that informs our intimate relationships is that they will be exclusive and not just sexually exclusive. For although we usually designate our paramount relationship to be defined by a bond of sexual fidelity, the myth of exclusivity has many tentacles. As we live it out, it has come to mean exclusivity of many kinds. When we fall in love, we're not just saying, my, what a wonderful mind you have. It'll be a joy to talk with you over the next 50 years. What we're actually saying is, my, what a wonderful mind you have. I'm also expecting you to be a great lover, a great father, a wonderful Friday night date, my comforter in times of sorrow, my social sidekick, my political compatriot the person my parents will dote on, as well as my guru, my emotional crying towel, and my first personal national bank. Since a single relationship is expected to perfectly fulfill all our needs in this extravagant and unrealistic way, we naturally tend to exclude all others who might participate in the fulfillment of our needs. While this relieves potential others of possible burdens, and in some ways makes life seem less complicated, it overloads marital partners who are mere mortals who love you, but not gods who can make your every dream come true. In holding this myth, we become ridiculously demanding. Any person who loves you will be grand in some areas, hopeless in others, but you'll still expect him or her to be your everything. No wonder our relationships often disappoint us. Who could possibly live up to these insane expectations? The myth of exclusivity has many tentacles. That is such a great quote. That is a good line. That the box we actually put on our romantic partner is this notion that they never suffer from humanitis, Mm -hmm. that they are not actually human beings. And I like that's where towards the end, you know, she says um, about they're not gods who can make your every dream come true. Right. They can't fulfill everything. You you, there's a need to have other relationships besides this romantic one. get your needs filled and take some of the burden and pressure off of what this marriage or relationship is supposed to be. So what do you say to someone who, is, who the, that concept makes very uncomfortable if their partner is like, <laughs> oh, I have a bunch of needs. I need to go have met other places. The notion that you're going out of the relationship to get something else kind of implies this notion of betrayal. Right. And be, that's because, again, like she's saying, there's this notion that it's not just sexual exclusivity, that the myth of exclusivity has many tentacles, and we live that out in like every area of what this person's supposed to be. So I think that's also where in your romantic relationship, you kind of uh, communicate with each other and define the things that... Well, actually, I think you get this when you're building your love maps with each other, when you're getting to know each other and actually building your romantic foundation of what things you like about that person, of what that person brings to the table, but also being able to acknowledge that other people in your life bring different things to the table. And those are things that you value and can connect with differently and that that's nourishing to your soul as a person, which then also allows you to show up and be a better partner in your romantic relationship. A good way that I've found to think of it is zooming out just a little bit. And instead of thinking that one needs to go out consciously, I need to go out and meet other needs. I think it's important to recognize that the way the universe is set up, everything we need is always there. And it's when we expect it to only come from one place that we we start to live in this imbalanced universe. Mm -hmm. But if we just say, all of my needs have the potential to be met where I am. That's how it's set up. Some of them are going to be here. Some of them are going to be from there. But we we can kind of rest in that, knowing that we don't have to go seek anything else out, that the the people that need to be in our lives will be in our lives. Yeah. And if there's and- issues there and there's tensions there, that's an opportunity for us to look inside and figure out yeah. why. And I think it's also not even an, I, I would like to change the language too yeah, in exactly. saying that you're going out of the relationship, mm-hmm. out right. of the romantic relationship that you're in. And that it's really, you're bringing 
inclusion. I think there's no in and out, I think, is what I, I like the you don't way like to go in saying. and out. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, that's, well, that's for another day, another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but uh, no, I think that I think it's right. It's it's instead of viewing it as in and out separately, that it's just this is this is where we exist and you're we're all a part of all of it. And so when you start thinking of in versus out, now you're like separating people from your lives at certain points in times and we are yeah. just we're we exist constantly there's no separations exactly and because i, I think the, the change the like change that. of wording though is is where it really mm-hmm. comes down to uh that it's not an exclusivity thing yeah on either side it's not us saying that one partner yeah. should be exclusive exclusively meet all our needs and it's not even saying that I'm going to go over here for this and go over there for that. It's about bringing it's it all inclusion. together. Mm-hmm. Like, inclusion like of what you here. have in... Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're all included. Yeah. I think this is a good Well, pivot. and that's where, that's where um, you know, in the beginning of developing the relationship with mm-hmm. Derek, I was very open in the inclusion of like, this is, you know, I have this friend and they bring this to the table and I really enjoy doing this with my other friend and mm-hmm. these are things that I want to share with you because they're a part of my life and they really mm-hmm. nourish my life. And if we're going to build a relationship together, A, I want you to know what my life looks like and B, like, I also want to see what your life looks like and get to know what your friendships are like. And right. that it just, I really like changing that of like going out of the relationship to this like inclusion of taking advantage and, and nourishing the connections that are already existing within your universe. Yeah, you exist before that person. They yeah. shouldn't take over everything. But I think that's a really good pivot into talking about um, when we came back from Paradise and when I met Kit mm-hmm. along with some of your other friends. And I told you I had two rules, right? Yeah. And so my two rules, I hope this doesn't make anybody nervous about their... Uh, significant others' friendships, but <laughs> my two rules are this. I think this whole episode might make. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, if they're not talking about that person, maybe you should wonder a little bit what's going on there because or ask. Right. If this is if this is uncomfortable to, to talk about a friend or um, just a different person in general, that you know, oh no, they're just a friend, but then that they never come up, even though they're having like this separated relationship. That's right. that's a big like that barrier that you talked about, Kit. Do you find yourself saying, <laughs> "Oh baby, you right exactly we got, got what I need"? <laughs> but if you're not talking about that person, I feel like. There's a there's a separation in communication that can be an identifier for that. There's something else going on there. Is that something that you've experienced? Yes, that is a huge part of why I say that, and that's happened several times. So two separate exes that I've been with have um, started. Uh, you know, like we met someone either. Well, one one situation was we met this guy at the same time, right? But then just like I'm talking about, they like started doing things separately, but it wouldn't like, it was like a, what'd you do today? I did this and this and this and this. Oh yeah. And then at the very end, it was like, dot, 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 pause. Oh yeah. I also did this because they, they were like deciding you could see it like processing. Am I going to talk about this person or not? And Mm -hmm. then, which is kind of a red flag. Yeah. And then feeling guilty at the end. Oh, you know what? But I should be able but I'm going to like, just kind of pass it off as not that important. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the other, in the other situation, one of my exes, she, uh, in referring to like her past relationships, she wouldn't actually say this guy's name. She would say, um, you know, the, town that he was from. Mm-hmm. She was like, this guy from here. That's a big thing for me too, though. Like I always ask, well, what was your ex's name? Mm-hmm. What was her name? Mm-hmm. And I think that like separating there is a very mm-hmm. big indicator that, you know, there was a reason why they're trying to hide that. And it may be on their side that they're trying to hide that and, and cut that person, you know, maybe out of their lives or whatever. But uh, in both of those cases, it ended very poorly. <laughs> yeah. That um, almost is a little bit of a test where, where you say, can I, can I, if I can bring my friend into this relationship, mm-hmm. if I can be with them and not act differently, mm-hmm. that's, that's telling. But well, if you get around that third person, whoever that is, and all of a sudden the whole vibe changes. Mm-hmm. And in both of those cases, one was like a cheating situation where... 
you know, for the Bachelor listeners, it was very similar to Raven's story where I actually like flew <laughs> to her place early, like flew back early for something we were doing and ended up at uh, over at his house knocking on the door because <laughs> that's where I just like I had this, you know, this feeling that that's what would had been going on. And then I discovered that, you know, that was real. And so one thing that really impresses me about you is that even with those experiences that you're still open-minded to dating people, me, Mm -hmm. who (laughs) do have relationships with people, members of the opposite sex and that you're not in that category that's like black or white that like, no, men and women can't just be friends. I think they were just... I think that that is what tends to lead people down that path as well, is having experiences like that. Totally. Where you're made to think that some person is really a friend, but then they end up not being. Well, that that leads into my second rule, yeah. which is, am I a part of this relationship as well, or am I separated? Mm. And so when I first came to Seattle... And I had told these things to Taylor that she was like, okay, well, you're going to meet Kit right away. Yeah. And I said, okay. And so uh, zero worry in my mind after first meeting Kit because I think Kit gave me the most meaningful hug of my entire <laughs> life. Without it, We had never met each other before. And I don't know what it was. It like, was an embrace. <laughs> like, yeah, it so wasn't surreal. even a hug. It was an, an embrace. Yeah, it, it was, was like, honestly a magical moment as an observer. It, was, it warmed my heart. <laughs> <laughs> and I instantly went, okay, this guy's not in any way, you know, like he's actually trying to trying to connect with me. Yeah. And that it was like that we have our own sort of connection, mm-hmm. that that makes it that this isn't about you guys have a connection. It's a this is inclusive inclusion. again. Yeah. Because at its core, we're all having on some level a soul connection, yes. which... Uh, future love. Comes from the future love. I'm going to read another quote from the book on friendship. Friendship is emotional kinship. As one's family is kin in blood, one's friends are kin in spirit. In friendship, we entertain the sentiments of esteem and affection for one another, the joy and shared interests that draw us again and again into one another's company to share the ever-changing vicissitudes of life. In the past, friendships were often used as rain checks on so-called real relationships, something we could make do with in the fallow periods between romances. But true friendship is a relationship of great magnitude. It is sacred communion. It is a steady, accurate reflection of self, a balm in time of need, a relationship whose character, precisely because of the lack of sexual involvement, ignites primal and nurturing bonds. In these relationships, in the absence of the emotional challenges that are constantly presented by our sexually intimate relationships, we are nourished, supported, mirrored, and made new. We are cared for. So beautiful. So friendships then have this way of being a certain chosen family. I think a, a, a test. I think a <laughs> test is to notice how a relationship changes or doesn't change when one of the people gets into a an actual relationship mm-hmm. or romantic mm-hmm. relationship. And if one of the people gets into a romantic relationship and the friendship basically stays the same, maybe a little time. Uh, that you I spend you, together is yeah, a little different. Yeah, I think different. you have to expect that there's a reduction in time, right? That's yeah, like there's, a, there, there's some quarter, but if you watch how it changes, yeah. if the whole vibe of it shifts, then that's really telling. That's probably not one of those mm-hmm. friendships that really kind of stands that test of time. Yeah, well, and one thing for me, like most of my friendships, we discuss dating. That's like most of our conversations are about dating and about connections. So... For me, if I'm, you know, both with you, Kit, and other guy friends that I'm really close with and girlfriends, you know, we'll talk about each other's dating. And even if I get into a relationship, then, yeah, there's that period of time where, like, I'm spending more time with that person. But the way that they act towards me or communicate with me doesn't change. And there's still that nurturing bond there. We're still, you know, I'm still caring for that person. That person's still caring for me. It still feels like... You know how, like, you use my word chosen family, uh, you know, in the book when she talks about family as kin and blood and friends are kin and spirit. That's, like, very much your friends and your family and your romantic partners you're connecting with on this soul level. And that your friends and your really, really close friends 
are that chosen family because it's such a deep connection. And that's one one of the things I love that she brings up too, that like in the absence of having those emotional challenges that are usually accompanied by the sexual components of a relationship, that you're able to nurture each other in a different kind of way. I think it's a really beautiful thing though to think about your friendships as this kind of kin of spirit and that, that that applies both to the male and female friendships. And I think the communication that you have in that friendship very much helps determine whether or not that friendship leads into something that's sexual or romantic. Um, we've got a bunch of letters about this. I asked you guys to write in and you know share with me situations you were struggling with or questions that you had about um, intersex relationships. So I want to touch on one of them that kind of talks to that point about a girl kind of struggling with uh, a guy friend. I have a ton of guy friends and they are like my brothers. One of the biggest things I have in common with many guys is my love of sports, which is often why it's easy for me to become friends with them. I also do have plenty of female friends, just to note. My question about this is, do you think that a girl having a lot of guy friends is a turnoff to other potential male suitors? Could it be somewhat intimidating? Sometimes I wonder if being one of the guys turns other guys away. If that's true, I just don't get it and would love to hear your thoughts. It's one of the things I appreciate about this letter is that she brings up that they have shared similarities, that they have shared interests. And that's one of the things we found in the research uh, that men and women both agreed on it being a benefit to having the intersex friendship Mm. um, is being able to share those kinds of things. So I can see why she's friends with these guys because they have a lot of things in common. Um, I think when it comes to you know, being a girl that has a lot of guy friends and that turning off guys that might want to date you, um, I think communication is really important and kind of how Derek and I, you know, worked in our relationship and and how I introduced my guy friends, I think is a really important key to that not being a turnoff to that suitor. I think another thing for her to kind of focus on is empathy and to think about if, you know, we've talked a lot about girls with a lot of guy friends in this conversation so far. And I think it's really important too, especially when introducing someone that you date to your guy friends that you empathize and think about, you know, if he had a lot of girlfriends mm-hmm. and I was being, I was the one being introduced to the people in his life, how would I appreciate and how would I want to be um, introduced into that? How would I want my partner, potential partner to communicate that information to me? Because that would help determine whether or not I go into this very open-minded or possibly with some walls up and um, kind of my investigator hat on. So if she was interacting with these guys and she brought a, let's say, a potential male suitor along, I think it could play out in a number of ways. On, On one hand, he could just be insecure and jealous and not understand. Uh, There could be another side, though, where if she is acting in a way that is very flirtatious and if he gets to know these guys and these guys clearly in every other area of their lives are uh, kind of the the old stereotype where all mm-hmm. they talk about is women as primarily sexual objects and that's how he understands these guys and his potential suit, uh, this potential girl is friends with them. It could be very uncomfortable for him. And I'd also Legitimately so. say to her, you know, take a look at, you know, if, if that is the case, mm-hmm. um, that those guys are, you know, following that stereotypical, you know, vision of women, then to reflect on on how you're being attracted yeah, to that. Is, is like their relationships super sexualized? You know, are they yeah. are they actually is she actually one of the guys, or is it mm-hmm. a situation where they're they're actually the whole relationship is just them flirting with her. And the same thing with a guy with a bunch of girlfriends. If your girlfriends are like always flirting with you and, you know, it seems like they're following kind of that, the old relationship form that (laughs) uh, was brought up in the future of love of like, this is a not, this is just a friendship until it becomes a real relationship, but it's just holding me over in between romances, um, that that's something to be aware of. And I think also, um, you know, 
her being aware of how her guy friends change, if at all, yeah. when oh. she brings up the fact that she has a potential suitor. If she is just one of the bros, then th- that could potentially, you know, awaken something in her guy friends who then maybe perhaps start to see her sexually and they hadn't considered that before. Um, it could just further deepen their relationship as she brings this guy in and, you know, and talking about the benefits or the barriers or costs uh, to male-female friendships, I would hope that if she's bringing this potential suitor in in a very inclusive way, yeah. that he can look at this as an opportunity to gain some more bros. <laughs> right. Like that's a pretty positive thing. Yeah, or and is he so insecure that you know? Yeah, then like, do you really want to date a guy that's that insecure? Uh, maybe. Yeah, and I think I mean, like, does he even have a high level of emotional intelligence? Then, like, <laughs> I have a podcast he could listen to. That with that. <laughs> um, but I think too, like, it is important to like role flip this. Like, we've talked a lot about how um, I've introduced you know, my partner, Derek, to my guy friends. But I think even we can flip this kit of like when, you know, I've met some of the girls that you've dated and Mm -hmm. I think I've stayed pretty authentic to who I am and I haven't really changed any parts of how I interact with you. And I think, uh, I think that that's a good thing, but I think also sometimes I'm like, oh, I hope I didn't like freak her out (laughs) because sometimes I'm like a lot, you know, I'm like, I can't help me. (laughs) But I think that's telling if you feel like you have to change either because your friend gets a partner or Mm -hmm. you have a potential suitor, do you change, does it significantly change the dynamic of the other relationships? Um, Let's read our second letter, which actually comes from New Zealand, which like, I love that this next letter is from New Zealand. I think that's super cool. I guess I just had to email in when I saw your post about male and female friendships, because when I was younger, it was something I really struggled with the idea of. By that, I mean, one of my dearest friends in the world is a hetero male and I am a hetero female, and naturally, everyone assumed that we were dating or that one of us had feelings for the other at some point in time. The scrutiny on our friendship was annoying because I knew that if he was not interested in women or if I wasn't a girl, no one would care. No one would have ever questioned our friendship and being 16 and dealing with dating questions from people our age and older was very annoying and almost made me question the value of my friendship with this guy. I'm so glad that despite all the kind of rumors that circulated, we still managed to remain really good friends. I see him as family. We've had to deal with our fair share of, oh, you're putting him in the friend zone kind of commentary. That is absolutely ridiculous. But despite it all, we have a good friendship. I think the key to a good male-female friendship or any friendship is communication. Be honest with them. Be honest with yourself what you want. Set boundaries if need be. But I'm so thankful that he's a good friend because he offers that much-needed male perspective of situations. It's great. I really love how this letter is written, and I feel like she already has a lot of uh, perspective on this situation in general. And I love, like she said, I see him as family, and that's one of the things I always say is chosen family. Like I consider Kit my chosen family, and I have like two, three other people that are friends who I consider chosen family. And I feel like that's a very powerful thing. It takes it back to kind of the future of love where she talks about, uh, you know, kin is family and blood, but friends are kin and spirit. Right. And that's it's kind of like this soul connection that you have with people. Um, another thing I really appreciate about her letter is that she brings up uh, that he offers this much-needed male perspective of situations. And that was something in the research that we found um, where both men and women find as a benefit in the relationship. And, you know, the obstacles that she kind of mentioned about the scrutiny of, you know, the talk of their, them being friend zoned and making it, making her kind of question the value of her friendship is really tough. And I think that that's something that like happens on a daily basis with most male female interactions because there's already this assumption and the boxes that we kind of put, um, you know, those relationships in and make those assumptions uh, that that can be really hard stuff to work over. And she already kind of notes communication is key. That's, you know, probably how they have been able to get through those rumors and develop that deep friendship of chosen family. So it seems like she kind of summarizes a lot of the things that we said, Mm -hmm. which is take things out of the box, 
create your own context of what the relationship needs to look like. And don't worry so much about the assumptions of other people. Find the people that you're attracted to on whatever level that you have even a soul connection to, a soul kinship to, and nourish them. Mm-hmm. And like, so she, she mentioned uh, in the part we didn't read that she's 24. And when this all happened, she mentioned she was 16. And yeah. the research that we looked at was when for college students. So the fact that, you know, this kind of started around 16 and the fact that they're still friends, you know, they've really put a lot into this friendship. And I think, you know, it, she mentions questioning the value of the friendship, but she also could have been questioning is this really just a friendship? And that's where, again, it makes me think of the research where it's like as the friendship develops over time, the friendship attraction goes up and the physical sexual attraction goes down Mm. in order to maintain the friendship because you find that the things that are shown in the friendship are more beneficial and are more bring more value to you than the potential of sex or a romantic connection with that person. I love how like aware she is in this art in this letter too. Uh, she's very specific to say a hetero male and a hetero female, right. and that's one thing we've you know in this discussion we have focused on hetero relationships, but absolutely I think that the same kind of boxes and assumptions get put on uh, you know across the board of different sexualities and genders um, and all the different kinds of relationships that can be formed within those. You know I think a gay man that is hanging out with a, whether straight or another gay man, it's automatically assumed that the first one is attracted to that person or they are having sex or that they can't be friends unless it moves into some kind of romantic or sexual relationship. Right. And I think that the actual, I mean, my bias opinion and perspective here is that you can, you know, have a friendship between a man and a female, between, uh, you know, in a hetero relationship, you can have all kinds of different relationships and that it's not, uh, that it's, it's really not black or white. And there's a lot of things that we didn't talk about. There's a lot of perspectives that we don't have because we're mm-hmm. three heterosexuals. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure the whole thing kind of changes if you're in a long-term relationship and then friends start being introduced um, or in the various sexual identity kind of uh, situations. So we're barely scratching the surface. But if you could have, if we can bring this to like a personal conclusion, can males and females be friends? Let's let's go back to Harry's first question. Derek, <laughs> yes or no? Yes, but <laughs> yes, yes, and. yes, but yes, and I think they're different. Um, so I think that while Harry is like very defined, I think a part of that is him putting up his walls to be yeah. like, I'm a man and I'm gonna say no, never. I'm a man and I want to have sex with all the yeah, women, exactly. <laughs> right. I think he's trying to be like exude that masculinity through his mm-hmm. statement. I think that it is definitely very possible, but I also know that... Um, it comes with its challenges. It comes with its challenges. And that movie was is what, almost 30 years old now? Yeah. This is before he was like, Mike Wazowski. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how about you, Taylor? Final answer. Uh, I believe it's a yes and. I think... There are definitely a lot of obstacles that can come up, just like in any relationship. Um, I think the the largest question in hetero male female relationships is sex. What about you, Kit? I think it is a sign of emotional maturity to be able to take yourself out of the boxes of predefined. To take yourself out of your penis, take yourself out of your vagina. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And just understand that we are... We have to say those words. I'm and, sorry. But we're having soul connections ultimately. Yes. And when we start adding that physical layer, yeah, it gets complicated, but it also provides us lots of opportunities mm-hmm. to be reflective and to uh, look at our own insecurities and to create opportunities for communication and just say, hey, yeah. let's talk about it. So as you can see, no real final conclusion here, but... We're in the gray area. There's things to continue talking about. Uh, We want to thank our special guest, Derek, for being here. So thank you so much. Thanks, Derek. Anytime. Love you. Love you too, baby. 
Can't wait to be back here next week with you guys and talking about another important topic. Please email us at ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com or you can find us on Instagram at Tamoka and at Kitbender with two T's. You can also find me on Twitter at Tamoka. We want to hear from you guys. We've been reading your reviews, reading your comments. Please give us your feedback. You guys are part of this too. Can't wait to talk about it next week.